Monday's Sorry? actually a bank holiday. I've only only realised last night. Did you know Monday's a bank holiday? I don't, I don't ever take bank holidays. On, like, that's just... I don't do holidays. <laughs> I don't think it's too important. <laughs> Bunsen, Dolly, Internal, Why do we need Petri, Oscar, Isaac, Transplanting? How are you doing? I'm all right, mate. How are you? I'm all right. How's lockdown treating you? Locking lockdown. Yeah, it's going pretty good. It's getting a bit warmer now. Uh, my dog isn't doing too well in the heat, so I have to take her out early in the mornings. We have to go for we go for a walkies. Um, she's not very well evolved. No, she's she's evolved for the Arctic tundra. You know, she's a kind of apex predator, like a husky. That's what she's, she's evolved for, like a sort of a clown world. <laughs> You're so mean about Ripley. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I've been doing gardening, Steve. We have you? Gardening. What, what have you been gardening? You, you growing I, vegetables or I something like that? Planted a lupin. Well, actually, when I saw, I planted a lupin. My wife. It was Maria, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> And a cam- what did I plant? I planted some begonias and I've some. I've got no idea what that is. It's a flower. Okay. Yeah, but I've been to gardening. Is that because you're the only place you can go is to the gardening centre? That's because they opened. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. opened. Yeah, yeah. And then um, I also managed to see my mum, and she. I came back with a bootload of plants. Ah, all right. So um, that's that's the excitement in my life at the moment, Steve. Gardening. <laughs> begonias mate you said it sounds absolutely incredible i trimmed a tree i trimmed a tree did you get to climb the tree no i didn't bother ah that's a shame anyway we've got another special guest on the science show today haven't we we have another covid related spectacular story from the world it's turning into a little bit of a um of a University of Southampton propaganda machine. We're going to have to change that, Nick. I'm going to have to get someone from Cambridge or something. To, to pull your finger out, Steve. Ah, maybe I will do that because, yeah, we need to do that. Because Nick's found one of his colleagues um, uh, from the University of Southampton that rather than just sitting around has actually decided to do something to try and help with the with the uh, the global pandemic. Isn't that right? Yeah, it's Alex Dickinson. So say hello to him in a minute. But he's an engineer. And basically during the COVID epidemic, him and um, a colleague, who is a, a, a respiratory doctor worked out that they needed they were short of um, respiratory supplies so they had to under very very quickly design and make a a new respirator that people working on the clinics could wear um, and alex has been very successful with this it's been all over the news it was in the sun it's been in other national newspapers on itv it's been on tv um, and it really shows what you can do um, when you really put your mind to it, and there's a real Absolutely. urgent need. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun finding out a bit more from Alex about exactly yes. how it's about and, and what he's been doing and where it's going. Yeah, so we spoke to Alex on um, Friday the 22nd of May. So this is still when we were uh, still in lockdown. Um, but it's kind of really interesting to see how it's kind of um, – it's fantastic it's, it, because it sounds very much that it was a little bit kind of half baked and they had to go through the process really quickly. And, you know, all of the standard blocks and procedures, are, particularly around medical devices, you'd expect to take you years sometimes to get something approved. 
and they're really trying to like fast track it through which i found really interesting yeah um, and all you need is a few like-minded individuals with different skills and expertises in a nerve center and what do you get <laughs> magic nick that's exactly. what you get. let's go and talk to alex yes Oh, Steve, how you doing? Nick, how are you? Oh, you know, not bad, not bad. I've just been Enjoying reading lockdown about... life. I am. I've just been reading about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. He's just made yeah. a load of money, isn't he? Hundred million he's mu- pounds. He's a muscle man. He's a he's a he's a MMA fighter or what? He's a muscle man. I've never heard of him, but apparently he's made loads of money from talking bollocks on on the internet. Yeah, are you a bit jealous? I'm jealous of like millions of pounds. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not jealous of his face or his body because mine is, of course, a finely honed temper. Ah, uh, indeed. But it's <laughs> it's 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 your brain muscle that I find the most exciting, though, Nick. Oh God, Steve, <laughs> you're titillating me. Anyway, we're we're not alone in the shed again, aren't we? We're not. We've got a guest. I I know nothing about today's guest. I've been kept in the dark. So so this will this will be uh, new. Steve's been living in a hermit COVID isolation chamber. Exactly. Completely isolated from the world. He doesn't understand what's been going on. He's not heard the news (laughs) from Southampton University. Um, about a new respirator mask for for COVID, and then we've got special a special guest on the show today, and it's Dr. Alex Dickinson from Southampton University. Hi, Alex. Hi, guys. Hello. How's Thanks for having me. Yeah, all right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Good. It's excellent to have you in the shed. Yes. Yeah, so yes, very much. Alex, how did we meet? Um, we met in the Arlet Bar in the staff club. I still remember it. And I think I, I I asked I asked who your postdoc was with, and, and you said, "Oh no, I'm actually a lecturer." So then I felt uh, <laughs> guilty. <laughs> people often it's because I'm so youthful. Indeed, I said my body's like a temple, and people immediately think that I'm some kind of youthful PhD student or postdoc. <laughs> I'm actually a very senior guy, Alex. Right, you are. Yeah, and I've been trying to claw that back ever since. I, I do apologise. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're colleagues, Alex, aren't we? At the yeah. University of Southampton, and I'm I'm kind of. I'm obviously a biologist, but you're something a little bit different. You're not actually a scientist, are you, Alex? <laughs> we, not, were just, not a proper we were just one, winding I'm up. I'm an engineering scientist, so, you know, we, we, we have to qualify these things, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's quite nice. So, so, so Nick, you're, you're between medicine and engineering, and I'm, I'm, I'm full-time in engineering. But we, um, yeah, I th- most of what we do together, we, we share a, um, a summer school uh, that we run with uh, um, a charity called the Small Peace Trust. Um, so we have, is it 36? Uh, school kids come and visit us every every August, almost August. They're not coming to visit this August, but um, uh, for obvious reasons. But um, yeah, we, uh, we 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 tell them about what um, what, what bioengineering and, and and biomechanics is like. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. At university and get them designing and making things. Yeah, and, and that's kind of what you do, Alex. So you're what's so we we're not going to talk about your kind of day job today. We're going to talk about this exciting project. But why don't <laughs> why don't you tell us a bit about what you do normally? Your, your research is. It's to do with um, prosthetics and implants, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's it's rather upsetting, actually. No, no, no one wants to talk about the, the stuff I've been doing for the last five years, <laughs> the last two months. <laughs> but um, anyway, no, no. So um, one one of the best science sheds is with the super vet. Um, <laughs> and when Nick introduced that, he's talking about this, this this wonderful talk from the super vet. And then these there's these two um, two guys in grey suits who talk about prosthetics beforehand. So I I, I want one of them. Ah, so you've um, actually debuted on the science shed previously, just not almost. Ah, well, almost. But I was that. doing the kind of the the less exciting, um, less innovative sort of prosthetics research. 
<laughs> so we don't Boring do the stuff. integrated. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, we, 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 we don't hang stuff directly from the skeleton, but I work on design of prosthetic limbs and especially the interface between the, 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 the prosthetic limb and, and the human. It's a highly, so, it's a massively important area, isn't it? Um, actually, actually getting the leg to work and not to cause problems at the actual stump site is a, it's a massive issue, isn't it, for people? That's right. Yeah. It's, um, basically, it's you, you end up with with a residual limb. Some people don't like the term stump, like to avoid that. Uh, okay. So your residual limb, and um, the the skin on the end of it is the skin that's on the back of your calf. So the, 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 the amputation surgeon uh, creates this, this pad of muscles and, and, and creates a pad of skin on, on the tip of the stump so that's wrapped over from the, the back of your calf. You think about how soft that skin is compared to the skin on the sole of your foot. It's, um, it's really um, vulnerable at first and you have to toughen it up. Like when you're learning how to play the guitar and you get calluses on your fingertips, you have to toughen up the skin in the same way. So you can't just stop walking for a week like you can put guitar down for a week. So. Um, so yeah, it's all about designing the, the shape of that interface. It's person person specific part. So, so Alex, what's your background? How did what led you up to designing these interfaces for people with prosthetic devices? So I um I, I went to university to study mechanical engineering because I wanted to work on racing cars. Nice. That's what most people were doing it. <laughs> most people wanted to do when when I was going to uni, um, and um, I found bioengineering um, by accident. Really, I got my last choice uh, dissertation project from, from the list <laughs> and um, met a guy called Professor Martin Brown who was the, the supervisor and um, we, we know far less than we do about use of the same kinds of materials in aerospace or or their applications in motorsport at that point the, it was a, it was a hip replacement project a hip replacement biomechanics and um, use of carbon fiber in, in the implant at this point we were still using the same the same hip replacement that was developed in 1965 is still wow. the most successful one for at least the, the biggest patient group. So, yeah, I just got sort of excited by that, that there's still the, the, probably the greatest potential um, developments to be done, the greatest improvements to, to be achieved in, in, in an area like that. Um, plus, uh, I think I, I suppose I've got a bit of Stockholm syndrome around. <laughs> <laughs> as well. So you so, fell in love not only with biomedical engineering, but also with your captor and supervisor. <laughs> so just to give our listeners a bit of context, Alex has been involved in the development of, um, because of the COVID crisis, a personal respirator. So something to stop people getting infected in the hospitals. And it's been a big collaborative effort at the University of Southampton um, I don't really know how it came about, Alex, or how you get, got involved. It sounds really exciting. Can you can you give us an idea of how you how that how that all kicked off? Sure. Yeah. So um, the uh, I think it was Monday the sixteenth of March. So it was a, a week before the lockdown was announced, and um, we uh, we had several thousand uh, cases of COVID across the country. But I think we we were only in the first sort of hundred or so uh, deaths per day. Uh, in in NHS hospitals, so it was really really quite early. Our our consultant respiratory medic, uh, Professor Paul Elkington from the from University Hospital Southampton and, and our Faculty of Medicine, he um, I, I think I think he he had one of these sort of brainwaves on his commute uh, to the hospital, um, and um, I'm just imagining him now on the bus like on the, <laughs> on the blue. Really in my head, in my head, he's really spasming like, in his seat. No, in my head, he's like uh, Dr. M. L. Brown from Back to the Future, going. <laughs> <laughs> as 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 a ray ray of light slowly shines on his on his mind. 
So I, this sketch he drew us, I don't, I don't know whether he initially drew it in the condensation of the bus window. I don't know, right. but we received a, we received a, a sketch from him. Uh, so basically he, um, he, he realized that we, we could do better in terms of the, the level of protection and comfort of the PPE, the, the personal protective equipment that we're giving uh, all, the, all the staff at the hospital. And he, he drew a sketch of, I think something was inspired by, by some other systems that he used before because he's done lots of uh, tuberculosis work in the past. So something he'd used in containment labs before. And then he got in touch with uh, another prof uh, called Howell Morgan, who's in our electronics and computer science school. And he then started to put a bit of a team together um, so they uh, they looked around for can-do or sort of enthusiastic type people or people who, who don't really say no to things. So I think I'm probably in that latter camp. In the club. Presumably, respirators already exist. So, so what's different or special about the ones you, the, the, you know, your idea and what you were developing? I've been having a chat with an old friend of mine called Tim, Tim the Enchanter, and he's assured me that it's certainly not novel. <laughs> Tim, greetings, Tim the Enchanter. You know, Tim's right in in a lot of ways, um, and yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. Um, the, the the nice thing is. Um, just to, sorry, just to yeah. let our listeners in on, on on this. So, because there's been a lot of press about it on Twitter, um, Alex has attracted some uh, Twitter trolls, right? Who, who've, been, who've been pointing out some of the flaws in the in the master plan, as Twitter trolls are wont to. But Nick's been really nice, and he's stuck up for me. Ah, nice I waded in. <laughs> I waded in. You so rarely do that, Nick. You certainly normally have. Well, I just put on. I put on my excessively polite, reasonable hat. Uh, what? So that's I was wearing the reasonable hat. hat. That, is a hat. that is a not a very well worn in hat for you, Nick. I'm sure that, that, that is a beautiful, it. splendid hat. That I remains to, firmly on top of the wardrobe. I had to go and delve into my attic space, and it was just behind the place where I store my plastic dinosaurs from when I was a child. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, so it's not novel, but what what is it? Just describe it, just for everyone, so it's just because someone's got an, an idea of what we're talking about here. Cool. So it, it's, it comes under the family of powered air purifying respirators, we call them PAPRs. Lots of people uh, are wearing surgical masks. Surgical masks are really good at protecting other people from something you might have. However, they really don't give you very much protection yourself. Um, so the masks that you've seen the, the doctors and, and, and nurses in, in the high um, risk areas of hospitals wearing, those are more like respirator masks. So They've got a much tighter seal around the face and they have a they have a filtration part so they're actually filtering the air that you're breathing in and removing pathogens or contaminants um the problem with with a mask like that is that um in order to be effective they're pressing on the skin around around your face so they're pressing on the bridge of your nose and on your cheeks it's not really a big deal for a, a few minutes or if you're I don't know, welding something or painting something in your garage or sanding some wood but if you imagine wearing it for an eight or nine hour long 
NHS shift, um, it's, it's going to be pretty uncomfortable and you're going to want to adjust it and move it. And every time you're touching your face, potentially you're, you're moving contamination onto your face. Also, while, while the, the filters are supposed to be, I think they're, they're required to be something like one, one or two percent, the seal around the face allows two percent of inward air leakage, and that's just normal air with, with no, no, no filtration, no protection at all. Right. So the idea with these powered air purifying respirators is that you have, you have a, a seal around the face, or maybe you'd have a, a, a hood, like a hood-type respirator that goes over from, away from your shoulders or your neck up to enclosing head completely, and then you have a filter and then often a, um, a fan uh, with a battery pack and then a, 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 a hose that then feeds that air into, into the hood. So in my head, I'm imagining like a diving bell, like yeah. just wearing on my head, that, 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 that's pushing air into my face rather than me sucking it from the air, the air in front of me. Is that right? Yeah, again, again, go to the Twitter feed because loads of people have been sharing photos of things that this reminds them of from the past, ah. so diving bells. Um, there's a, there's, there's what's the Twitter a, feed, Alex? So what's the Twitter feed? Um, so we got one called Perso PPE. So at um, Perso PPE, P-E-R-S-O-P-P-E, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, then I've got my own lab one as well. But it's not just about me. It's a massive team of people. So <laughs> follow that one and then maybe, maybe look at some of the less formal stuff that I say. And Alex, just give us an idea. You said there wasn't enough. So, so hmm. how many respirators exist, and how many did we need? You know, just orders of magnitude. There, how far away were we from meeting demand? So, the number we we need, I think, some somebody ran some estimates, and and if you look at protecting all of the NHS staff who were potentially at risk or at high risk at least, so just the people, um, uh, just the I guess the the medics, the nurses, the healthcare assistants, and um, before you mention all of the ancillary staff. Um, you're easily in in hundreds of thousands nationwide, just in this country, okay. and then you talk about you know pharmacists, dentists, primary okay. care. So the issue isn't necessarily is making a, res a a respirator; it's that making one in enough scale in a short period of time to get it to the people that need it, and that's the innovative step here. It's not that you, you did anything per se new actually in the respirator design. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, and we we. We had two or three uh, versions that were either the, either members of the team had used before or that some of the, the anaesthetists at the hospital were trying out. And um, we tried to get one or two more of these uh, just to look at and to, to understand how they worked. And we went online. This is a week before the lockdown, before things really kicked off. And um, uh, one, one supplier that had some stock said, oh, you know, we're only supplying NHS now um, and we can only send sort of two or three to each each individual, um, so that the stocks were were shooting down as we went. So yeah, we tried to come up with something that you could you could assemble from components. Um, so like you could go through your basically your recycling bin, that sort of thing. Have a scurry yeah. around through the bin, a couple of cornflakes. Well, we we like this the type of thing you can make. Of corn bottles. Yeah, <laughs> so, not so quite. What, what are the what are the uh, components then? What do you need to, to be able to make one of these? So the most important thing is is a filter. Yeah. So you need you need some way of cleaning the the air that's getting into the respirator. Um, so we we've been using a HEPA filter. So that's relatively similar to to what you'd have in a vacuum cleaner or in a dehumidifier or air conditioning unit. Um, there's various different grades. So not not all not all HEPA is the same. But um, I can go into a tiny bit of science if you like. Because yes, please. So they're really clever filters. So they um, 
some of the best papers about these filters are um, published by NASA. So they use these filters. Yeah, it was all developed the, in the 50s, yeah, all the HEPA, HEPA technology, wasn't it? It was commercialized in the 50s. It's been around for ages. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's really clever because if you think about like a, a filter working like a sieve, you would think, well, the, the, it's good at sieving out particles that are bigger than the, than the spaces in, in the sieve. Yeah. Um, but HEPA is very clever because as well as trapping larger particles, than, than the spaces in, in, in between the, the filtration material. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's so densely packed that um, it traps really tiny particles that would otherwise be able to pass through the gaps. So it's got, it's got the second kind of diffusion mechanism. How, how, how does that work? It's like a Spranian motion, basically. So the, 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 the small particles are just getting bombarded by... Ah, so they could get through. It would just take them too long to get through. Yes. Yeah. And eventually okay. they, they, they hit a... They hit a um, a filament in the filter structure instead they and they, they adhere onto it. The glass fiber, I think very, very densely packed glass fibers. Okay. Very cool. HEPA filters uh, are quite widely available. You can get them in your vacuum cleaner and things like that. So, 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 so all right. So I go and I raid my vacuum cleaner. I've got my, I've got my filter. What's next? When you were building, Alex, I heard that you became very good at sewing. So yeah. So you have skill in knitwear um, and, and um, what's the word? Haberdashery to be able to to design these things. I haven't been able to formally acknowledge my mum yet anyway, but um, <laughs> to formally acknowledge Catherine Dickinson because she's wonderful. Um, so she's an, ama she's an amazing needleworker. Um, and um, I don't know whether at some point in osmosis over the last 30 years, I've picked up a bit of, uh, a bit of that. But um, yeah, the, so the, the other end of the device from the filter, you've got the filter, the fans and some pipe work, you've got to hang it off the head somehow, but then you, you, need, a, you need a hood. So we went, we went for a hood-type respirator instead of a mask. So some people have been using those, um, those full-face snorkels that you can get from Decathlon. I saw um, a, a, fun, a funny WhatsApp clip of some people wandering around like Swindon Town Centre or something. Very yeah. <laughs> Made me laugh way too much. <laughs> so I've got two of those in my office. It's better than that. Although, we, we, to be fair, would, would that work if you just put your filter on the end of your snorkel? It, it, it may well do. May well yeah. do. A couple of a couple of people have tried that. I think they've they've been rolled out in um, in several countries, and I think in in this country, um, the Catalan are really good. They uh, they provided um, access to CAD to researchers who were asking for it, and uh, for their, their their design data, so they could they could modify them. And um, and I think they they took them off the shelf so that we couldn't just rush out and buy them, so that they were available to the the staff that really need them in hospitals. Um, but I think our our particular concern was going back to that that skin health thing. So it's still going to press around the, the, the of course yeah the so if you're wearing it for a shorter period of time you're doing some kind of industrial work um it's fine but um eight to nine hours hot and sweaty in a, in a hospital mm. ward great so um yeah so we, we went for the hood, hood type approach and um like getting the team together is tricky because we've got some amazing engineers and scientists and we've got i'm sitting there thinking i have no idea how you match uh, how you match a fan to a power supply and you make sure you've got you know, you've got your decent battery life and so on we've got a great electronic engineer who's already doing the sums on, on his bit of paper yeah um and then and I, i'm sitting there thinking well there, there aren't that many i don't know what kind of technical tasks are left but I, I could have a go at making making the hood i guess and then you realize that they're all they're all thinking what i was thinking about the power supply about the hood like someone's yeah. going to have to get a needle and thread out and i know where to begin so, and you uh, need a mechanical engineer to do such a thing yes yes so that's um <laughs> that's basically the whole of the third year um in in southampton of, of the undergrad courses is, is sewing. sewing round for the stationary 
people a sewing machine? Yes, I hit Hobbycraft, um, and the, it was it was just the shelves were being stripped because I think everybody realised that the, their kids were going to be at home for a long time. So, um, so Hobbycraft was, was still open, and I got one of their sewing machines, and um, we scavenged um, Tyvek lab coats to start with. Um, so we we uh, we made some patterns that um, if, you, if you lay out a Tyvek lab coat, you can trace these patterns onto the onto the back. What lab coat? Is this some kind of special lab coat or something? So I think they're strictly, I think they're single use, but they're basically disposable lab coats. Uh, so tie, tie it's rather than like a cotton thing that you see, like, you know, the dude from the Muppets wearing. Being kind of like, I like the fact we've that we, we like, it. Sort of like kitchen towel type material sort of thing. Strong kitchen towel type material. Yeah, it's a bit more plasticky. So it's not absorbent. It's, it's hydrophobic, which is important. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit porous. Um, so lots of people think these things, like uh, like Dr. Evil's hat, they have to be completely impermeable. Mm. The, the nice thing with a powered air purifying one is that um, because you've got positive air pressure inside the hood, because you're pumping uh, air in there, I was going to ask, right. pumping everything out. I actually see. Um, so it can be quite leaky in that respect, yeah. as long as there's a positive pressure. It can handle... Filtered air. Yeah. yeah, it can handle the quality of my sewing, that it's completely leaky. <laughs> but, um, the, the, the important thing is if you have enough air supply in, then you have a it pushes any pathogens and any unpurified air out. So um, how, long, and, and how long did it go from, you know, assembling all these bits to having a functional prototype? So we got, we got Paul's, we got Paul's uh, sketch, I think um, uh, in the morning on Monday, the 16th, I got the email about 5 PM. And um, uh, then we, we put a specification together on the Tuesday, the 17th. So were you all and then they said, can I just think? So I'm yeah. trying to picture. Were you all in a room, like you know, with <laughs> strewn everywhere? Exactly. Painting around bits of paper and people sort of writing equations on the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, is exactly. that the right scene to set? This is like the the nerve center of Perso. What was going on in that room? It it was exactly what you've described. I, I, you haven't seen the room, but that's that's exactly it. I mean, there's there's um I got some photos of it. We'll have to get those out one one day. Um. But uh, yeah, we got we got calculations all over the whiteboard, and um, there's just so we, I, I started making hoods out of flip chart paper before we started uh, cutting up lab coat because we only had so many lab coats, um, and uh, we had loads of we just had had stacks and stacks of boxes from from RS the component supplier with, with loads of fans and things from Screwfix with face visors that we were we were attaching inside the hoods and um, loads of bits of 3D printed material and cut up bits of um, perspex. Um, yeah, so that sort of nerve center, and um, we so that that was was pretty unti untidy in that room by about the Tuesday afternoon, and then we um, somehow we put together a working prototype um, by the the Friday morning, um, so Friday the twentieth, and then that went to University Hospital Southampton to to for some of the the key kind of infection control staff to have a look at. And, and so, how, um, so what I'd be really interested in is how do you go from was it the basically having senior people that could allow you to go from you know designing essentially something in your shed through to taking it into a hospital because i'm sure that must be an extremely difficult hurdle to get over i mean uh, how are people going to know it's safe it's not been tested it's not you know how did how did that work you're right that was that was really hard and it's it's still being hard um it's really important that these things are tested properly you're absolutely right so you can have the best pp in the world you, you guys will know from your, your lab work even if you take if you take your you take your gloves take your nitrile gloves off wrong, you still end up yeah. contaminating your hands. Um, it's just the same and, and much higher risk with any, any kind of PPE, especially this kind of respiratory stuff in a in a 
um, in a pandemic. So if you you spent all day with this thing protecting your face from from these droplet splashes when people are coughing or, or speaking, um, and then you take this hood off over your head, and if you if you if you don't take it off properly, you, you drag it over your face, and you just mm. pass all of that protected all, all the contamination that was it was protecting you from straight onto your face. And so, first of all, we we we, we work uh, a lot with the, the the infection control team at the hospital who helped develop the prot- the protocols for how you how you safely put these things on, um, clean them, and then take them off with assistance. Um, we we did some tests, so we've we've. Uh, an important point, I think, was realizing that we weren't set up as a as a test house. None of us had developed PPE before. We've developed all kinds of other devices and, 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 test, and done all kinds of other tests before on, on medical devices, but we recognized we, we didn't have the, the kit to do a lot of those tests or the expertise. And just to, to get hold of that kit, that we would probably only ever use this once. It, it just wouldn't happen. So we, we had to bring in additional help to do that. Um, so so we, we did some tests about the, um, how, how well um, the filter and, uh, would would, um, would block out airborne contaminants. So we put some petri dishes with, with agar, one inside the hood and one outside the hood, and then uh, and you pass a, I think it's a, it's a standard cubic meter of air over it, and then you see how many how many bacterial colonies grow. Yeah, um, and we we uh, we did a couple of other tests that I can come back to, um, but then um, we we had to acknowledge that it's not a fully tested device; it's still a prototype. We, we, we all the time had Paul Elkington as our champion presenting this in the light of what it was to the hospital staff, explaining it's a prototype, but also explaining if this is compared to people who are um, working on just standard wards in the hospital where COVID patients who have possibly um, had a false negative in a test might be being treated. Because um, even at that, at that point, the tests were not good, especially if you have a low viral load, you might have a false negative test. So those people would just be put on standard wards. Um, they're basically, you're, compare, you're saying if, if somebody wears one of these respirators, it's this or they're not wearing anything. So <clears> clearly it's, it, we just need to make sure it doesn't make anything worse. So, okay, so you've designed this thing and it's started to be used by people in the hospital and presumably the feedback, you're getting a little bit of feedback on how it works. What was the next step? Because it's now gone, I mean, where is it now and how has it got to where it is now? So there was actually there was actually another another month in between. So that second prototype, we, we just got user feedback. Uh, that's that's the other kind of testing um, that we did. And I think that's one of the big things that, that um, one of the ways this links closest to the research that, that I do and the teaching that we do, that it's all about um, a user-centered design and, and really considering the user's requirements as carefully as you can in, in what you're developing. Because um, as engineers, we're going to make huge assumptions about what we think is important. And unless you, it's, it seems really obvious, but really commonly you develop something, you develop a new toy and you don't actually ask what somebody needs from and it. And someone actually they want a beer holder on one side of the head with a straw, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, you could say that at the beginning. I mean, you could imagine it would make, you could make things worse. And that's why I asked this question about trying to get it into the hospital, right? Is yeah. that, you know, you know, medics are, you know, they don't, you know, they're, they're trying to do their best. And, you know, if we mess up in the lab, Nick or I, and presumably, you know, you actually you can change something, right? But these, the, the consequences of making a mistake here would be huge. So I can understand why there might be some, um, you know, reluctance to kind of hmm. massively embrace it because you're right. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's as long as it doesn't make it worse, but it could, it could have been making, you could have been filtering COVID directly into people's faces. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, 
you, you have to you have to be so careful. I think the the other big factor was that there were a lot of pretty nervous healthcare providers. So we couldn't again we couldn't nod to this that much on any of the announcements we were making because we didn't want to appear at all critical of what people currently had, and we didn't want to panic the public so they go out and buy all of the fans or snorkel masks in the country before mm. we could equip the, the, the doctors and nurses and, and, and other hospital staff. Um, but if the possibility was that we were going to give lots of false hope that we come up with something that was going to protect exactly. them a lot. Yeah, and yeah. They, they, and it, a couple of people didn't want to give their, 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 their sample um, devices back. So, <laughs> you know, you have to... <laughs> they love to be so much. So, so just so where where are we now with it, Alex? And it, what what's going on with it at the moment? And you know, it's been presumably been quite quite a long road. So, I mean, briefly, how how did it how did it sort of get there? And we we, we brought in a, a company. So we brought in a, uh, a a small company here in Southampton, an SME called uh, Indo Lighting. SME meaning small to medium enterprise. Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they 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 took over our, our prototype and they've done a load of development work on it. Lots of lots of testing and loads of um, uh, development for for scale production, and um, and then they've they've started uh, they've started supplying them to uh, to University Hospital Southampton. I think they've had orders from a couple of other other hospitals, and um, and they're so far they're being used in in all, all but the most high risk areas of sure. the hospital. We started off with an open specification, so we just we put a paper up which just talked about the the system and the main standards you would need. And I guess you could say there's not all that much novelty in that paper, except the fact that it's just bringing all that material into one place. Come so on, we're saving it had, people. It had it had it had that amazing diagram in it, the one that you were talking about from the bus. You actually put that diagram in the paper. I've Is seen. that right? It's got Paul's drawing. Yeah. So um, nice. we. The number, the number of times when, when I'm assessing uh, our, our, des our students' design coursework, and they just they go straight to these beautiful CAD models with lovely glass <laughs> rendering and reflections of uh, in it, and we said, no, we, we want to see your scrappy sketches. We want to see your process. We want to see where it started." So I thought, "Well, if, if we're going to publish this, this is the first sort of proper design type thing I've published. You know, we, we ought to uh, we ought to you know, give as good as we get." Um, hey, you want to see the initial drawing on the back of an envelope in a in a restaurant. You know that's that's fun, it's, yeah. particularly if it goes through to something being useful. That's it. That's it. So we um, we we thought it was more important to get that out as quick as we could. Um, I think also we we recognised that so the that, that, that there's a British and European standard for testing these things, and that was written in 1998. Um, so that's a fair fairly good clue that we probably didn't invent the concept itself, and accept that. Um, there may there may be a tiny bit of IP in in some of the real specific details of what. Of, of, of the way we've done it, but I think our attitude instead has been looking at these hundreds of patents out there. We 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 took the opposite approach. So we went to the oldest patent, the oldest patents we could find that describe what we were doing, which we know are older than that sort of twenty-year um, patent lifetime. So we could show that basically everything that was in our our simple system had been disclosed in like nineteen seventy-three. I think the first big patent was, and there was another one from nineteen eighty-two. 
So we've shown that you would have to have made a really big inventive step beyond those patents to achieve your own patent, and we hadn't. Um, so although you know it's not watertight, that was sort of as much due diligence as we could as we could fit into the time. Also, we've only published anything that we've designed from the ground up. So some of the early some of the early prototype hoods, for example, are obviously matched quite closely on on some other devices that that you, that you could buy. Um, you couldn't buy them. Um, in, in, we couldn't buy them at the beginning of the the project. And, um, but uh, yeah, the, in terms of what what we've what we published and released, we've uh, we've uh, one, one of my post-ups has, has designed a new hood from the ground up. So you're you've got a, a, a company who's making them in Southampton. What's next? World domination. Basically, yes. Um, Just so like Doctor Evil from Austin Powers. <laughs> I, 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 I think I think I'm really flattered. I mean, the, the, the real the real pop culture reference I've found so far is is Homer Simpson removing his hazmat hood in the, in the, in the opening credits. Um, but yeah, I, th I think the Doctor Evil looks. Yeah, wear it with um, a badge of pride. Appropriate, maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, so um, so I mentioned Paul several times. Paul works on um, on tuberculosis in particular. I think Paul's motivation from the beginning was always that this, this wasn't just something people in the UK could benefit from. Mm. Um, there's there's a global need for this. Potentially, I, I read some some interesting. So this is in all um, infectious diseases, not just for COVID. You, you're thinking about he wants to try and get something like this out cheaply to people in low-income countries to help clinicians who are working with people with infectious disease. Yeah, I, th I think it's primarily respiratory infectious disease to start with. So you, whatever PPE you choose, you have to match it to the infection pathway. So what we're working on is is, is sort of specific for, for COVID, but um, you know, could he could easily be basically what you're talking about? Yeah, it's, it's the sort of it's the airborne uh, particulate or, or kind of aerosol um, infection route. So um, we have read some interesting things that, that show um, some of the reasons that we might be seeing faster or slower um, spread of, 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 of the, the, the coronavirus pandemic into in, into some into some parts of the world than others, and the fact that it, it seems to be um, building more slowly in, in parts of Africa and South America, for example. How much does it cost? What, like everything? Well, we put it all together. Uh, so, the, and how much would a normal, like, so in, in like when you see a proper respirator mm. hood that, that, you know, the, the probably what I'm sure is quite expensive that you see for people, you know, virologists in looking after Ebola, you know, I, I'd imagine that's very expensive. So what, 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 what kind of roughly are we looking at here? So the, the commercial devices tend to be, tend to be several hundreds of pounds. Um, so, uh, and I think we, we don't know exactly, exactly what, what our device would cost. Cause like I said, we, we got it to a prototype. One company mm. is taking it into a product, um, but obviously there's there are lots of other costs of how you sure. uh, how you how you roll something out and make it available. Um, but the, the basic components of it, once you've got a design, the components aren't that expensive, really. You know, and I suppose actually the, the the price is it's not not necessarily the price; it's just the availability of the, the, the if they're if they're widely available, they're probably relatively cheap. That yes, probably, yeah, yeah. It's two things: if if you can make it available enough. Yeah, you can certainly make it cheap, and secondly, somehow, you've you've got to have, you've got to have people trained up how to use it really properly. Right. So, um, one of one of the bottlenecks once they once they land at your hospital is everybody wants to put one on, but you need mm. to make sure that they've that they're confident using it and they know how to use it without. Yeah, uh, just like the gloves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, shit. We 
Shit! Come on, Steve. Bunsen. Burner. Dolly. Machine. Internal. Combustion. Why do we need? Petri. Dishes. Oscar. Bay. Isaac. Newton. Transplanting. Brian, Brian, I thought you weren't going to show up today because you know these. How are you? Why would I not show up? Well, you know, it's we're in lockdown, and you and Marjorie should be should be should be locked away, sat at home watching the Tiger King. What are you doing here? We have watched Tiger King. We've Did you like Tiger King? Oh, pay will take it away. I love <laughs> that show, mate. Can't take it. What is that? I don't think I've seen that, Brian. A lot of people have paid their bills, right? <laughs> the bailiffs come out. <laughs> And then they take all their stuff. Oh, so it's a very cryptic title then. God, pay. Were you listening about the about the new respirator? That, it's that, amazing that, what those chaps can do in it. Yeah, much better than Nick and me, oh, isn't it? Stuff when they're really doing the hard, you know, all the hard working type stuff that they're doing, and they'll have all the boffin stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like all, the, all the boffins get together and make something. It's actually all them fun. Get it together. Clapping their heads together, <laughs> digging down, drawing on the board, sticking things together with a bit of sellotape. Lord hell. Yeah, well, I mean, Brian, you already know this, but uh, for anyone that's listening out there, if, if you like um, what you've been, been listening to, you can get, get in contact with us for, through a variety of ways. How, um, how should you do that, mate? I'm, I'm on the Twitters. Are you on the Twitters, Brian? No, what's Twitter? I don't know what oh, okay. it is. Well, it's a social media account. But yeah, I'm at uh, Steve the Chemist. Uh, Nick is at the Evans Lab. Uh, and we're at the Science Shed, obviously. Great. Um, um, great. But, That's great. But, but we got, we, we're thinking of changing this, the, the, the podcast up a little bit now we're in COVID. We're going to do... No, don't change. Yeah, don't well, I'll tell you what. You said right. change bargaining recently. Have you noticed? <laughs> they changed bargaining. All around. And now they're doing some special challenge. Uh, and it changed at the end, and I tell you what, mate, I don't like it. Well, you know what, Nick and I, I have like been. We've taken we've taken uh, inspiration from the creative visionaries at Bargain Hunt, and we're going to tweak the podcast a little bit to do some early morning cup of tea COVID science. Oh um, well, we should... mate, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so that's something to look forward to. Um, but until then, uh, we're just about to go into the bank holiday weekend. So, uh, Brian, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I did. It's all gonna all the better for listening to Doctor Dickinson there telling us about his personal yeah. mask and all that. Great man. Yeah, well, thank Great you. Work. Thank Good you to him. Mate. All right, but until then, I'm going to go and uh, enjoy my bank holiday weekend. I reckon you do the same, Brian. What are you doing? You off down the down the canal to get some stickle wax? Doing a bit of fishing, mate. With oh, the good. Oh, good. yeah. Gonna do them. Gonna bring some back. Put them in a tin bath in the garden. Tin bath. Not watching yeah. swimming around in the sunlight. That's what oh. I'm doing. Anyway, bye. to Bye, Brian. And and bye to all of the shedlings out there. And we'll see you next week. Bye.